morning. Good morning. Glenn, thank you, brother. And your team, man. And our team's top shelf. I'm talking privilege and blessed to have you. I was enjoying being here this morning. Y'all give me some love. Okay. You can celebrate the guys' peace in their life. We get weird in church about clapping. I don't know why that is. Uh, there's a lot of clapping and shouting and hollering in the Bible. And there's going to be a lot of clapping and shouting and hollering in heaven. It's okay to get rowdy in church a little bit. Okay. Y'all got rowdy last night. I moved that right there. So, uh, anyways, uh, I'm glad you made it to church this morning. And uh, I want to give you a freebie, though. If you get too torqued about Saturday, mess up your Sunday, you're too torqued about your Saturday. All right? Football's a great sport. It's a lousy God, so be careful with that. That's whoever needs it. My team good wins. I don't care. So, uh, we're terrible. But anyways. Um, but Jesus won, and that's good, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Y'all are just a tough crowd this morning, man. I'm telling you. And we're going to be in Psalm 78. I, uh, I'm glad to be with you guys today. If you don't know me, my name's Kevin. Uh, we'll be good friends before I leave here in just a little bit. I really like the pastor. We've been buddies for about 20, about 20 years. And then Sarah Lansford, her wonderful children's minister, was actually in my student ministry at uh, First Athens. And I love her so much and uh, appreciate all that she's doing. And it's awesome to see God continue to work and use her life uh, for his glory. And I just love both of them so much. And then Drew, I've got to deal with Drew too. You know, Drew's a little, he's a little wild here. He's a little crazy. But uh, he's a good guy, too. And y'all got a great team of people, and you're blessed. I'm telling you, I go a lot of places, and uh, you've got good unity as a church. You've got a great group that loves each other, and that's seen in the way they treat each other. And it's just a, it's a really cool thing to witness on my side, uh, seeing them. And so uh, who likes fall? Anybody like fall? Hey, yeah. Like say, pumpkin spice and all things nice and pumpkins and mums and all that stuff. And who likes fall allergies, you know? Uh, that's what I'm dealing with today, and so uh, I'm trying not to cough and have to carry on. If you need to cough and sneeze, that's fine. Just keep your snot to yourself, okay? And I uh, love a great time, but uh, it's part of the part of the fall experience uh, for sure. Uh, I got a couple of questions I want to ask this morning. If you guys are handling me on this, because I think it's, I want to kind of get you to have a kind of a good perspective of your own congregation. Uh, Drew asked me, and, and Pastor Ross asked me to come share this with you. I've been kind of working through a little challenge I've been doing with my churches, and I'm going to share that challenge with you today. Uh, concerning the banners that are on the stage, we'll talk about those in just a minute. But I want to first kind of do a little survey of your congregation to kind of see where you are and who you are, okay? So the first question is this. How many of you, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give the, give the circle a little bigger, grew up somewhere in North Alabama, graduated from a North Alabama school, somewhere in the Air Beach, okay? All right. But you know, how many of y'all from somewhere else? Raise your hand. Welcome to Madison. <laughs> Welcome to Madison, all right? This is how it goes. Uh, did this, I just asked that same question last week in Lindsay Lane. Got a similar response, even in a room full of 700 people. Same response. Uh, a lot of folks from other places. And if you don't know it or not, uh, of course, Madison's been going to do this for some time, but Limestone County is the fastest growing county in Alabama. Uh, of course, Huntsville is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas, the now largest metropolitan area in Alabama. And it continues to spread and grow at a rapid pace. And that makes like Caroline Road at 3 o'clock a wonderful place to be, doesn't it? Don't you love Caroline Road at 3 o'clock? And, uh, and so life's happening all around us. And every piece of dirt between here and Athens is turned over right now. And uh, so if you've got property and you've sold a little bit of that, just remember the Lord, okay? And just kidding, that's all good. Uh, remember the Lord, all right? And uh, but, uh, you know, it is happening. And whether you like it or not, it's going on. And uh, remember when we were growing up, we used to play a game. Uh, you know, y'all remember hiding the secret for, right? You know, like somebody's hiding, you know, the hiding people, and you get the secret guy or gal. And, uh, and then, you know, somebody would go, they turn their head to the wall or behind a tree. And they start counting, and then what would they say when they got ready to come out? Ready or not? Here I, here I come. That's what's going on in our area, okay? 
And so there's a mass influx of people that are coming to North Alabama and to our neighborhoods. And the question I keep asking myself is why? Why is God trusting us with all these people? Why is God trusting us with all these people? So many of my churches and people that I know are like, oh, they're just complaining. And they're like, man, I wish it was like it was. And I wish it was this and it's that. But listen, what God's doing is he's uh, assembling a massive amount of souls in this region. And what it is is a responsibility now that we have as the, as the witness of Christ in our community personally, as a church, to be a light in dark places. And listen, everybody that's coming here, they don't, <laughs> they don't roll tight or eager. I tell y'all, they don't care. Uh, they don't really care about, they don't, they don't care about football. Uh, in fact, let me just give you a quick illustration how this works. Like uh, when I was pastoring a church, I was out on the west side, out in Pastor Ross's land, out in West Limestone. If I went to visit a family and invite them to church, they'd say something like this. Oh, uh, preacher, thank you for coming by. One day I'm going to surprise you, I'm going to show up for church. That's what they'd say. And I'd be like, all right. So they'd go to West Limestone. They'd say, I'm going to surprise you. And so right now, if I find a neighborhood or a friend or meet somebody at a convenience store somewhere on Caroline Road and invite them to my church, and they're going to tell me, man, quit praying for me. If I want to go to church, I'll find one. Leave me alone. They're both saying the same thing. Hello? They're just from different places. We're, we're kind of nice in the South. We try to love people and be flowery and appreciative, but they're both saying the same thing. This is we shouldn't invite, we shouldn't connect, but the reality is we're surrounded by people that continue to come here that do not have a connection with Christ. The reality is from last night to this morning, and nothing to do with the outcome of the game yesterday, Limestone County, Madison County is more lost today than it was yesterday. Think about that for a minute. What's more lost today than it was yesterday? Our churches aren't seeing an exponential amount of growth. Most of our growth is in-house. It's uh, in-house baptisms and, and families that are already connected. In fact, I ask my churches on a regular basis, when's the last time that you know or remember or, or, or aware of a, a time when your church reached a lost, unreached family for Christ? They were saved, baptized, and being discipled in the life of your church. I hope you can, hope you can think of this. I hope that's you. But the reality is most of my churches are, exist on transfer growth more than connected growth or, or, or growth they've seen where they've made a difference in somebody's life. So my heart burden is that uh, we have a responsibility with all these people that God is bringing our ways. We need to get mad about it and bust up the line at Publix or how long it takes to get down to Caroline Road for the clock. <coughs> or we can get connected and get after it. Because here's a great fear I have of myself that I just, from my own personal thing I want to share with you. Um, sometimes we sing songs about going to heaven and talking to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We talk about going and seeing Jesus, and I want to do all those things. I hope you do. You want to see Jesus? I want to see Jesus. I think he's in the house today. Uh, I want to see Jesus, but I also, I'd like to get to heaven and somebody want to talk to us. That's good. Because God gives something exponential. They glorified him so much, that was so great, that people want to stop and talk to us. They want to find out what God did in our time. What I'm concerned about is when our churches are beginning to get really complacent and kind of like just protect my position and not as engaged as we ought to be uh, because we're just kind of trying to hold on to what we have. And we're forgetting that the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same God that slayed giants and delivered those from the fire, is the same God we worship this morning. He's able. And he wants to use you and I for his glory. And that's the part of your purpose being on this side of heaven. And so in Psalm 78, I actually 
shared this text with you before, but I've got just a little bit different take on what I'm doing with it today. And I hope it will make a difference in your life and encourage you. Um, this is not a guilt message because I've learned that guilt lasts about two Sundays. But you meet Jesus, you'll be changed forever. And that's what I want today. It's for us all to have a connection point with Christ today, okay? And so in Psalm 78, you're going to see a text here that hopefully is familiar to you. And again, I apologize for the influx of my voice. I'm trying to keep from hacking through this microphone, so it's going to be kind of, I'm trying to get to the verge of, of uh, aggravating it, and I back up a little bit, so love, love Paul, love Paul. It says this Psalm 78, verse 1, Give ear, my people, to my law, and climb your ears to the words of my mouth. I love my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Turn the generation to come the praises of the Lord and the strength and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and a point of law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That a generation to come might know them. The children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The first part of this passage is pretty straightforward, and it's like sort of an alarm. It's, it's a, it's a rattle-the-cage kind of a moment here. In verse 1, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law, and climb your ears to the words of my mouth. There's a, there's, a, there's a desire here for you to lean in and listen to what's about to be said. See, this, this, this statement today we're going to talk about in Michael Cat from Sherwood Baptist Church. You know where that's at? And uh, Albany, right? Is it Albany? Albany. Albany. Uh, he, he coined this phrase a long time. In fact, they used to hang it on the, it was on the back wall of their church as you left. Every, every Sunday you passed by this statement. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And the reality is this, whether you know it or not, the world wants our children. Do you know that? Do you know that most advertising is not even aimed towards adults? It's aimed, it's aimed to, to younger people. It's aimed to children. Why? Because the majority of our kids have more control of the spending habits of our home than those that actually earn the money. And too many times we've kind of grown up in a culture now we're more concerned about our children's happiness than we are about the holiness of our home. We want our kids to be happy. We want them to have iPhone 14 for free. I guess a new thing now. Get your phone for free, right? Or whatever it is. I don't even know, man. That's, I mean, the other day I didn't know one because the one I have is about to be like discontinued with support. That's me. I'm like a second generation flip phone guy. I'm just kidding. I don't have a flip phone. Uh, but it kind of felt that way when they kind of, they kind of phone shamed me. At the, uh, at the, at the, like, what are you doing with that old phone? Like, well, that's why I'm here. Help me. And, uh, and so sometimes we're more concerned about the happiness of our children than we are about their holiness. And it can lead us to do things that are really not good for their spiritual well-being. And so in this passage, it begins to speak in verse 2. It says, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings. Well, verse 2 is actually like almost a prophetic word about Christ coming and sharing in down-to-earth terms things that have not been revealed, spiritual truths, things that matter in a way that can be received. And the funny thing is, you remember this, anytime you've read stories or, or accounts of Christ talking to the disciples 
or the people on the street, he would always try to talk about spiritual things, and their mind would always land in the physical. He's talking about, you know, tear this down and raise it in three days. They're like, how can you tear this building down and build it back in three days? You know, I, he talks, I mean, he talks about, always had her mind on a physical thing, and he's trying to have a spiritual conversation. And so that's, that's part of what this text is talking about here. <coughs> Excuse me, in verse 2. And then it says this, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Now, this is an interesting concept. I don't know where you came from or what your spiritual story or heritage is in your life. But a generation has now left us that used to be the carry everybody they came to church generation. They're gone. There was a, a generation, maybe of our grandparents, that if they were believers and they lived close to you, they would do whatever they could to make sure you were at church on Sunday with them. If you had some like that, they, would, they were never going to touch you, they were going to come pick you up. They, they weren't even asking. They were like, I'll be there at 8. And they picked up nieces and nephews and they'd bring them in because they desired them to be there. They would invite and they would connect and they would bring. And now, on most Sundays, most of our cars, we come with many empty seats in our cars. So many available seats. And with it here in verse 3, you see they've been, this is they've been taught, they were heard and known. And man, I get, Brother Pastor Ross, I get kind of sideways sometimes, and I hear some of my people in my church just say things like this. I really wish my pastor would preach about something other than uh, the Damascus Road. I wish my pastor would preach about something else in Noah's Ark. I wish my pastor would preach about something else in David and Goliath. I wish my pastor would preach about something else than the life of Christ. And I'm going, really? Like, you've gotten tired of that? So the reality is, any given Sunday at the Grove, there ought to be somebody here that has not yet heard the truth that you know. There should be somebody here. I mean, on a given Sunday, 200 plus people call this place home for Sunday morning, and there's nobody here that is. I know you expect guests because you've got a guest table. You, got, you have gifts prepared. You're expecting people. Not because Pastor Ross has invited them or because Glenn has invited them or because Drew's invited them. Because they expect us to invite them to come and use the power of our influence and opportunities to connect people to Jesus. They expect that. You should expect that from one another. Amen? All right. It's early, I know. And some of y'all had a late night, so hang on. It says this, <coughs> verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, telling the generation to come the praise of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. So let me ask this question to kind of set the platform here, set the stage. Does anybody know here that God is the Redeemer? Anybody? Does anybody know here that God is a restorer of relationship? It can be broken relationships with a spouse or a family member or somebody else. Sing along may else. Anybody know that? God can do that. God can restore. But does anybody know that God's a healer? That he's, he, they say, okay, just making sure. Okay, all right. Anybody know that, that God's a, he's a savior? Amen. We know these things, right? And so we, those things, that greatness of God that we've experienced in our life is not part of the story that we are to keep to ourselves that we are to pass on to those that are in our circle of influence. It's not meant to stay with you. And I'm going to show you why that's so important here in just a moment. Sometimes I wonder, in the churches that I serve, if anybody knows the answer to the questions that I just gave you, or if their answer is true, 
Because rarely do I ever find myself in a conversation with somebody talking to me about the greatness of God in their own life. I rarely hear about it. It's not breaking the ocean to talk about how great God is. It's not looking at me and talking about how great Jesus is in your life. It's not even, it's not even that bad. talk about the struggles that you have, that you're broken people. And if it weren't for God, there's no telling where you would have been. Me. This morning, we sang some great songs, man. I was like, I just had to just, I couldn't want to sing a lot. I was trying to say my voice, and I know I got it twice today. And so, but I enjoy listening to you sing. I love these songs that you're singing. And man, what about, what about redemption? What about the, the radical transformation that happens when broken people meet Jesus? And I hope that's the, the song of your heart, the testimony of your life. So it says here in verse 4, Tell the generation to come, praise the Lord, and strength is one of the works that he has done. For he established testimony in Jacob, verse 5, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. That the children who would be born, they may arise and declare them to their children. And they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Hang on just a second. So what you're telling me here in this passage is that our obedience or lack thereof has the possibility of impacting two generations of children that have not yet been born. Can I tell you where the most lasting ministry in your church is happening at right now? It's not in this room. It's over there. See, when you serve as a children's leader or a Sunday school teacher, small group, a trunk or treat, there's a young singer's plug, vacation Bible school, mission trip, ball coach, volunteer at school, what you're doing is influencing and impacting a person that has an opportunity to have two generations of influence post what's in front of you. Because right now, some of these grandparents are sitting in that building being taught by Miss Sarah right now. Somebody's mom and dad is sitting over there right now being taught. You understand the influence? Did your grandparents have influence in your life? Did they? Did you listen when they had something to say? Did they have impact in your life? Think their fingerprints are on your life? Good, bad, or indifferent? There's an element of respect and authority and, and an opportunity and connectivity there. And so the reality is this, that if we, the people of God, Withhold from the next generation the greatness and the goodness of God. What we have done is given up on two generations that have not yet been born. Two. So what that means is, even in a church the size of the grove, your children's workers and youth leaders should never have to beg, borrow, or steal to find someone to serve in that area. Because your church believes that what happens in the hallways and classrooms and the events with children and youth, that, that those opportunities impact two generations that have not yet been born. You hear me? And I start, I listen, I've got some great churches. We have a lot of great, I mean, you're a, you're a normal-sized church in Lions Association, which is a large church in the convention. Anything over 150 is a large church in SBC life. And over half my churches have full-time pastors. But I want to tell you this morning, every one of them are begging for children's leaders. Every one of them. And it should grieve the church because there's more than enough of us to meet the needs. It's a 
not out of guilt. Man, it can't be out of guilt. It's got to be that you met Jesus and you understand the impact and what it means to invest in those that have not yet been born. So I said, well, I don't, I don't, that's not my thing. Let's do something. People are your thing. If you love Jesus, people are your thing. It's not about me creating a box around myself and saying, well, I'm just going to hang out right here and me and Jesus are good and I don't feel like coming in and I don't feel like going out and I'm just going to hang tight right here. And I'm saying that is not what you were saved for. That is not the gospel. That is a, that's a, that's a form, that's, that's, an under, that's a little bit of understanding of some truth, but the knowledge of God not being in you. Because when you understand that you've been bought with a price, that you've been redeemed, that you've been set free, that you've been set on a high place, you've been pulled out of the mud and the miry dirt, and that God has got a plan and a purpose for your life. And that purpose and plan is not just to work and do and pay bills and get done and die. It's so much more than that. So much more. And then this text continues in verse 7. It says, look what it, look what, look what it wants them to do. Here's the, here's the desire of the writer here in Psalm 78. That they may set their hope in God. Not forget the works of God. Got four kids. One of them's in college right now at U and Angle Lines. They play, yeah, they play the trash can just They play the, the, the Toyota Field. I didn't go to that game, but you better go to that game yesterday. Pretty cool. I don't know. It looked kind of cool. I got on the sports center. How cool is that? I mean, we're, we're big time, right? Uh, but I got four kids. They're a mess. And uh, it's pretty wild at my house. So you say, I'm a dog, so that's party of seven. And so it's, it's kind of crazy. And, uh, but I've got some things that I hope that my kids have for themselves. I hope they love God with their hearts. I want them to do. I want them to understand their mission, their purpose in life is not just for themselves. I want them to know that God is so good and God is able, no matter how broken they are or anybody they meet, that God's able to do work in their life. That's what I want for them. If they have a, I want them to have a job, too, this evening. <laughs> I want them to work out. <laughs> Get off my payroll, right? <laughs> Tax deductions for a little while. It becomes a little bit like, hey, y'all, it's time to go. The Bible says it's time to leave. And get on with your life. Right, Pastor? <laughs> and so I have a desire to do it. But I want them to do this. I want them to do this. I'm here first. I want them to set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. And to keep his commandments. But verse 8, things get weird in this text. Everything was really good until verse 8. And you get to the 8th verse, and there's a caveat here. That there's, a, there's a turning to the question that kind of just messes the whole thing up. Look at it here in verse 8. And may not be, talking about these children, may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation who did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, I'm just going to do a quick survey without raising hands. But I want you to think about it in your own soul. Would you say that the generation that is in the seats of authority in our world right now is a generation that has set their heart aright and desire to follow God? It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about politics, y'all. I'm talking about life. School life. Public life. Leaders in business. You guys work with a lot of people. Is that, is that a conversation you hear? It's usually an anomaly, right? It's an anomaly when there's a coach that's got a heart for God more than a heart for the game they play. It's an anomaly when you've got a person that's in a place of leadership and a CEO or a CFO spot uh, and, and their heart is for their people more so than the product they're pushing. 
It's an anomaly when someone is in a place of authority in local government or even in our, in our national federal government or even anywhere in the world and their heart and their mindset is about something bigger than themselves. It's often seen as just an oddity. Have you noticed that? It is not the norm. But it should be for us because we say we love God. It should be for us. The rest of the text goes on Talk about this rebellious. In fact, the definition of the word rebellion is a refusal of obedience or order. A refusal of obedience. I'm going to tell you, when my four-year-old tells me he's not going to do it, he's not four, now he's six, I'll be seven. When he gets, it, it, it can be 10 years old. I don't care, 15, 20, my dad, my dad still tells me I ain't too big to wolf. He's 65 years old. <laughs> he's about that tall, he's kidding. He's too short. <laughs> I got plenty, I got family. They know he's not a tall boy. But that's why I'm just like, he's like, ain't too big to wolf, son. I'm like, okay, I hear you, buddy. But you, and then they refuse. I mean, look at this one time refuse not to be obedient to Jimmy Ward and see what happens to my rear end. It's going to get lit up like Rudolph's nose, I'm telling you. It's going to happen. There's going to be consequences for not being obedient. And sometimes we think that we've gotten away with whatever we've gotten away with because nothing's happened. Listen, the consequence may not be necessarily physical in our life, but it will be generational. Our disobedience will ripple to generations that have not yet been born if we continue. In fact, if you, I'm not ready to read it to you, but the rest of Psalm 70, you read rest of it sometime. From that point forward, it's a, it's a testimony or a, an indictment on the people of Israel who saw the power of God on display and they experienced just the unbelievable the physical presence of, of God through the wilderness and how God continued to provide. Now, here we are knowing all that plus the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, and yet we look at them and say, how can they be that way? And I'm looking at us and saying, how can we be the way we are? Why do we have to beg, borrow, and steal? To convince anybody in our churches that our children are worthy of our attention, do they know that you want them the most? In fact, if the grove has to do this, and I'm not telling you what you got to do, it's not a word from God for your church, but if God to have church at eight, so if you spend the rest of the morning out in the community going where the kids are that cannot find their way to your church, do whatever it takes because they're worth it. And God's able to do far more than you ever think or imagine with just a little bit of obedience. The Bible says that if we have faith in a mustard seed, we can move mountains. I don't know your backstory, but I'm just assuming that some of you are first-generation believers. That some of you have come from homes and situations where there wasn't anybody in your house that was really focused on God. Or it was a casual type relationship and it wasn't really a focused thing or a, or a meaningful thing or even a primary foundational part of your life. You do know that we're losing most of our kids when they leave out of our ministries and they graduate out. I'll tell you why they're leaving. It's not because you don't have hip music. It's not because of the service times. It's not because of the translation of the Bible that you're using. Uh, it's not because of what you wore on Sunday morning. The clothing doesn't do with it. This is the fact that kind of connection they have with the pastor. And you can still be an awesome parent. And your kids still have to choose. Just like you have to choose. But a lot of them that are growing up in the faith are leaving because they find nothing of value in the life of their parents. Concerning, concerning their spiritual life. Nothing of value. And that makes me hurt. I'm going to tell you a story and I'm done. Back in the 60s, not because I was there, some of y'all were, I wasn't. 
So you know, being down in Florida, uh, it wasn't unusual in Louisiana, even right here until recent days, to have revival services. You know, weeks would be a week of revival service. It would be a Sunday to Wednesday, sometimes Sunday to Sunday. Sunday would extend them even longer than that. And in Central Florida, there was a evangelist that was there for a long time by the name of James Smith. He lived in the area. He lived in the Dover, Scepter, uh, uh, Brandon area. He was probably in, he was preached a lot of places. And back, in the, back in the 60s, he was working at a church that was in that area. In fact, a uh, church that I know very well. And, uh, and they went down some, in the community, and part of, their, part of their thrust was to invite people. Imagine that, inviting in the 60s was a thing, inviting them to a church. Jesus has been inviting since the beginning, so he's inviting them to partnerships. So they would go and invite people. They didn't have, you know, cotton machines and Xeroxes and those, you know, I don't know but, you know, they wouldn't have to get flyers and don't hang They just had to go and knock on doors. How, how wild. And they would invite and oftentimes they find on this particular day they were out riding with the pastor and Brother James is with the pastor and they come to a house and it's just a simple place on a little gravel road and begin to have a conversation uh, with a family. There's a couple of kids there and then he says, hey, uh, well, we're having starts this week. Would y'all be willing to come uh, if we come back by and get you? And they're like, and then we find out. So they do the whole ask mom thing, right? And, and they do. And so uh, they, they, the, the church had a band, had a bus ministry going on. And so they went by and Picked up a couple of girls from his home and brought them to church through the week. And uh, it got going really well. And they had a lot of them in the response. They continued to keep that going for some time. And uh, that, that young girl that got on that van, that bus that day, oh, after a little while, gave her life to Christ. And uh, God did a great work in her life. And uh, as she grew up and got older, she became a leader in the very ministry that was part of the reason why she got connected to church in the first place. Let me fast forward a long time. In that little girl's life. And she's in a situation that this is the only way she was getting to church was somebody to bring her. The church had to come to her. So move on fast forward. She's married, has a couple of kids. Uh, life kind of goes on. And uh, that, that same minister is, is still popping, kind of bouncing around. He's back in that same area of, uh, of, the, of the same area they all lived in. And in fact, uh, that, 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 that pastor ended up pastoring the church that they went to. And he ended up uh, uh, baptizing her son. He ended up actually doing the ordination service for her, her son. And, uh, and, and, and so a lot of cool touches beyond the fact after a, a van ride to church. In fact, this morning, I want to tell you, that van ride was so impactful that she has six grandkids. And all of them will find themselves in a the church this morning. Isn't that pretty cool? Because somebody took a van and went down the road and invited somebody to get on a bus and come to church. But there's something I need to tell you. See, that girl was my mama. And I'm really glad that somebody cared enough to not come to church with an empty seat in their car. And took it enough, not just to bring her once, but to bring her over and over and over and over. There was no way she was coming unless somebody brought her. And what did that tell her over time? That told her that church felt like she had value. And then that became an opportunity. And because of that moment, I'm telling you, the rest of her family has not, it has not turned out so well. But that situation radically changed the trajectory of her life and has now affected two generations that had not yet been born when she got on that land. So don't tell me what you do doesn't matter. And when you get tired, and you're kind of like, I'm just ready to done with this. Just remember, that you just don't know, really, who you're investing in. You don't know what's going to happen with that.
because I'm pretty sure that Brother James had no idea that that day inviting her to revival meant that one day her son was standing before you preaching a message. He couldn't see that into the future. But God knew. And so I'm going to leave you with this. We, we really need to, to kind of internalize this truth. One, because we believe people matter to God. But number two, the next generation needs to know that the Grove Baptist Church will do whatever it takes to connect them to Jesus. Whatever it takes. How are we going to be displaced? Whatever has to be rearranged. Let no one that walks and drives by this church know, not know that God loves them. And not know that there's a place for broken people right here on Carolina Road. Really, kid, what do you want me to do? Well, the first thing I want you to do is what God wanted you to do. And that is, if you haven't given your life to Christ, none of this matters. What did I tell you? Shame and guilt, you've got two weeks. What you need is a, a, a personal invitation, a personal connection with Christ. So if you're broken today and saying, man, I got a lot of information I've never been transferred. That's who I was. I knew a lot about God. My mom had me in church. We were there on and off with some things. I knew a lot about, I knew all the stories, but I had not met Jesus. And I'm telling you, I can look at it now and see the difference between information and transformation. And so if you're here this morning, you need Christ as your Savior, then this is the place to do it. Your pastor will be down front of here to meet with you and talk with you. But this morning, two things I'm asking you to do. One, you need to be praying and asking God for open doors. Pray and asking God for open doors. And in church, let's walk in on them. Whatever it takes, however God leads, whatever opportunity God gives, invest in children. Why? Because you're staring in the eyes of two sets of kids that have not yet been born. Does it mean we quit on adults? No. Does it mean that? We do all the above. But if not, if our churches continue to dismiss the influence and opportunity of impacting children for Christ, then we'll be the last ones. And this will be the best we'll ever be. And I don't want to go to heaven and be the last generation. The ones that just waited on Jesus to show up. See, sometimes we're too much concerned with precious memories than we are the fact that the King is coming. I don't care how God has rearranged my church. I don't, God, I don't care how God has rearranged my life. I do not want to leave here with God not using my life for His glory. And you know what's really fun? Whatever great God does in your time, in the life of your church, in your life personally, you know what you get to do when you go to heaven? You get to give it all to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Amen? Listen, I want to give him something great. Because what he's given me is so awesome. I don't even comprehend it. How great it is to know Christ and the power of his love in my life. So this morning, if you need to come to this altar, you come. If you need to join this church, you come. You need to surrender yourself to next generation ministry and say, Pastor Ross, I don't care where you're from yet. I'm in. Sign me up. I'm all, I'm, I'm all over it. Let's go. This is the time for us to move. I'm going to pray. You come as a little late this morning. Father God, we thank you for this day and the opportunity in this house to serve you, to worship you, to know you. And God, our hearts are breaking for the condition of the families and the communities that call our area home. So much brokenness, so much fear, so much pain. And it's not just here, but it's around the world. And Lord, we believe that you're the answer because we've, we have found it for ourselves that you were the answer for us. 
So, Lord, this day, I pray, one, that you would affirm the things that this church is doing. That you would affirm it. The investment of time and resources and people into the next generation. And God, for all of us here, Lord, you didn't, you didn't give us a free pass because we get old. Who told us that we couldn't keep serving? Who told us that you couldn't use our lives? Lord, we're in, a, we're in our greatest place of service when we've had some experience and life in our, in our, and some time in our lives. God, use us up for your glory. For those that are here and do not know you as their Lord, God, I pray this will be the day. But for those of us that do, may we surrender afresh and anew to your mission and your vision for people. It's your will that none of perish, but all come to repentance. Lord, let the generation that calls this area home know that the Grove wants them more than anybody else. We love you. We thank you in advance what you're going to do. Work in this place for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.